0: This is Novel Marketing, the show that gives you innovative ideas on how to sell more books with your host, agent, author, and marketing maven, Thomas Umstead, Jr., and best-selling, award-winning author and marketing guru, James L. Rubart. Episode 187. I'm James L. Rubart, but you can call me Jim. I'm Thomas Umstead, Jr. And in this episode, guys, we're going to talk to you about how to get a publishing board to buy your book. Or better said, how do you get a pub board to choose your book over the other 10 proposals they'll be pursuing at the same time they're looking at yours? So this is important, Thomas, because getting through pub board is not that easy. There are things you can do to up your odds. And you're really in this more than you've ever been because you are now going to editor's at publishing houses and saying all right let's get this through committee. That's
1: right. As a literary agent this is a big part of my job is interfacing with pub boards albeit indirectly. And I think we should probably start off by saying what is a pub board because that is industry jargon,
0: lingo, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I will say disclaimer this is a traditional publishing focused episode. So if you're an indie You can skip this episode. Our next episodes can be very indie friendly. Occasionally, though, topics are one or the other. So if we're not discriminating against you, remember the trad (laughs) authors who listen to this show have to listen to a lot of indie episodes that they can't do anything with. So this is the one time, the one time, the tables are turned. So the pub board, as we said, is the committee of decision makers at a publisher that make a go, no-go decision. And typically what will happen is, let's say a dozen proposals proposals are brought to the committee and they'll pick one of those proposals to go on to be published. And these are proposals that have already been signed with agents and already been accepted by an editor or the editor is a fan of the proposal and the editor will bring the proposal to the pub board to see if they can publish it.
0: And every publisher is different. Um, but let's just say uh, the, our, our publisher here is meeting once a month. So once a month, they sit down. They're sitting around the table, and they're ready to go through those twelve pr- proposals. So, and and typically in December, a lot of publishers say, "Nope, no pub board in December." And some of them will even have a hiatus during the summer. So, conceptually, you could have only ten chances um, to to get it through committee. But yes, Thomas, let's let's talk through who those people are that are sitting around the uh, the round table.
1: Yeah. So the first person who's there is the editor. This is the champion for your book. And as an agent, this is the person I've been interacting with. So I will send, as for my clients, I'll send them a proposal to the, uh, to the editor. And the editor will look through the proposal. And sometimes the editor herself or himself will say, no, this book's not a right fit for us. And we'll reject it right away. So not every book or every proposal that's given to an editor goes on to the pub board so the editor acts as an initial filter the editor is only going to bring a proposal to pub board that the editor is already excited about usually sometimes if you're a big celebrity or something the editor may bring it kind of as out of duty right it's like i didn't don't like this but you know this person's the president of the united states and i think that you y'all should be the ones to reject this not me you know It's kind of an edge case. In in most cases, the editor is your champion and the one for sure yes vote that you get. So you always know you're going to have at least one vote in
0: favor of your book at a pub board from the editor uh, for what it's worth. The next group are the other editors that are in that publishing house. And sometimes there'll be an editorial committee meeting before it goes to pub board. So say you have three or four editors at that publishing house. The one editor who is the champion will come and say, you know what? I really love this book by Thomas. Here's why. Let's take a look at it. And they get input from the other editors. Now, oftentimes it stops right there and the other editors go, "Nap. I don't see that it's going to work for this and this and this reason. So it'll stop right there. So there, and we'll get into this in a second. There are a number of roles or a number of layers and levels that you need to sell through. So There's other editors. And then there's the sales department. Thomas, you want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, the sales department is unique um, in that they represent unique constituencies. So if you think of Pub Board as like Congress or the Senate, right? Some senators represent rural areas and some senators represent urban areas. The sales team or the salesperson is the one person in the room who is representing other companies. So the salesperson is asking the question, will Barnes & Noble want to buy this book? Uh, Will other bookstores that I have relationships want to buy this book? And how much of this book will they buy? So the sales team um, and a publisher is not selling books to readers. They're selling books to uh, bookstores, their actual customers. And so they're representing the bookstores. And sitting next to uh, often the salesperson is the marketing person who is asking the question is this the kind of book I can sell directly to readers uh, and and sales and marketing are different in a big publishing company uh, if indies often have these combined because they do everything direct to reader through Amazon. But uh, if you are traditionally published and you're wanting uh, print sales through traditional brick and mortar bookstores uh, to work for you, there is both a sales question and a marketing question. And these may have different answers, right? The salesperson is like, oh my gosh, Barnes Noble is going to love this book. Mardell is going to love this book. I think they'll buy it right away. Whereas the marketing person is like, I don't know if I can put it together a marketing plan with this author. Their platform is really weak. Or the inverse, right? Oh, I think we'll have a great opportunity to market this book directly to readers. But uh, but the salesperson's like, I don't think bookstores are going to want to stock it. And uh, those two people... In the meeting, their voice is very loud. <laughs> their voice is very, um, very listened to because if the marketing guy, and in so, some publishers, especially smaller publishers, it's just one person that does both sales and marketing. If that person says no, I can't sell this book, your book is dead, and they basically have a veto on the book. And that's why platform is so important, and that's why the marketing plan inside of your book proposal is so important uh, because if they don't think it can sell, it won't sell.
0: For my first book, I had an editor who was a real champion of the story, and he said to me, he sent me an email, he says, hey, there's no way I can get this through Pub Board unless my marketing director is on board. So I'm going to send it to her, and we'll wait and see what she says. So he was astute enough to know, if marketing doesn't get behind this, no chance. Fortunately, she did like the book, and it went through, but you can see that the marketing person and the salesperson, as Thomas said, are looking at different factors when they're going to support the book or not. Then we come to the accounting people. And these are the people that say, I don't care about uh, the marketing. I don't care about the hook of the book. I just care. Are we going to be able to make money on this book? And so they're very logical. They are crunching the numbers. They're doing the comparative analysis. They are really going at it from a logical analytical viewpoint. And one of the aspects that will impact accounting is the
1: cost of producing your book. So one of my clients is putting together a book proposal right now that has lots of graphical elements in the book. It's a very beautiful book with lots of sections and call outs and graphical elements, which is going to make the book fun. And more fun to read for readers. So it's the sort of thing the marketing person is like, ooh, somebody flips through this in a bookstore, they're going to want this book. But the accounting person is going to say, you realize that this book is going to cost two or three times more money for the typesetting. We're going to have to bring in our best typesetter here. We can't go with somebody cheap, and it's going to take them longer to do. So there's going to be a greater typesetting cost uh, to this book. Or if you're wanting to do something clever with the cover, the accounting person is going to be uh, putting that into the calculations. And essentially what's going to happen on the fly is the sales marketing team are going to say, we think we can sell this many copies. And the accounting person is going to say, we're going to make this much money on those copies based off of what the price point's going to be and what the cost of producing the paper book is going to be. The accountant's not as useful for the ebook because the ebook costs are pretty standardized. But for paper costs, there's actually quite a bit of variability. Another aspect Uh, that the accounting person cares about quite a bit is the number of pages. The more pages a book has, the more expensive the book is to produce. And uh, this is something that's very easily overlooked, but I have been at publishing companies where the number of pages of a book was the difference between profitability and not profitability of that book. And how we fix the book and made it a profitable book for us long-term is by reducing the number of pages. We fiddled with the margins. We fiddled with the fonts. We cut the number of pages and moved a book from being a profitable book, a non-profitable book to a profitable book. And that's all uh, the accounting side of things.
0: Yeah. And you're going to have some conflict between marketing and accounting because the marketing person is going to go, no, we've got to do this. This is the thing that's going to be the hook that we can get out there. And the accounting person is going to be Great. So you're saying we can make up our losses in volume, right? And 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 so you do have some headbutting going back and forth on that. And it's really easy to discount these people because notice what this conversation
1: is not about. It's not about, oh, but the characters are so compelling or oh the plot is so interesting. Right. That's not what right. they're in the room to answer, and that's not ultimately their job. The accountant is there to see if this is going to be a a profitable book with that vellum textured cover uh, that the editor says it has to have because it's an epic fantasy and we want it to feel like an aged book. And the accountant's like, yeah, but you realize that aging all of those pages is going to, you know, giving it that tattered feel adds 50 cents per copy to the cost or whatever. I'm making up the numbers here. Uh, But that's the kind of questions the accountant is making. All right. The next person is in some publishers it's the operations uh, per- person, like the chief operations officer, and other uh, publishing companies. That's this person has the title publisher. Sometimes it's the CEO. Uh, this is the big Kahuna. <laughs> so uh, this person cares about all of it. Right. So the, uh, the CEO, uh, you know, the suit in the room, so to speak, which I guess is the, that's what we can call this. We'll just call this the suit, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the person wearing the suit. Uh, this is the person who writes everyone's checks. This is the person who everybody else in the room reports to. Uh, this is the person who has the hiring and firing Um, power over everyone else. And ultimately the suit cares about the reputation of the publishers. They care about the quality of the writing. They care about the sales and relationship with bookstores, right? The last thing a publisher wants is to send lots of books to bookstores that then don't sell and harm uh, the reputation of that publisher with those bookstores, or it makes it less likely for those bookstores to buy future books from that publisher. Uh, They care about marketing and they care about the money. Uh, And this is the per- another person who has single-handed veto power, right? If the suit doesn't like it, it will not move forward. And that's just a pure power play, right? This is the person who has the power to make it happen and the power not to make it happen. And in some companies, um, the everyone else on the board is basically like their counselors in a throne room in the, you know, the CEO or the publisher, the owner the suit person, uh, is there and she has the final say, so, and the only say, so ultimately everyone is just giving her feedback and she makes the call. Um, and, and, you know, some people she'll listen to more than others. Uh, but this is a very important person. And it's perhaps good to know who this person is in the room when your book goes to pub board uh, or at least know the sorts of things that they care about. So, Jim, tell us a little bit about the roles. I guess
0: we've covered this already some. Yeah, we have covered a little bit already, but I want to go back just for a second to what you said. A lot of people do not know who that publisher is when they're when they're doing their proposal or when they're working with their agent on that proposal. The agent might know, but you as an author should know as well. You should do your research. You and again today with the internet the way it is, you can find a lot out about the personality of your publisher, what they like, what they don't like, what they've championed in the past, and with that information, you can tailor your proposal to fit that person probably to a greater degree than you've. thought about. So do take your time to find out who that publisher is. In my other
1: podcast, The Christian Publishing Show, which I found out we don't mention enough on this podcast because there are topics that we go in on that show that we don't go in on this show. And one of them is a lot of publishing process type questions. And in one of those episodes, episode 15 of The Christian Publishing Show, I interview the director of operations for a publishing company. Uh, So we go behind the curtain and I talk to the suit about his job. Uh, And so if you're
0: curious about what this is like, you can hear (laughs) it from the horse's
1: mouth, uh, so to speak. Uh, So that's episode 15 of the Christian Publishing Show.
0: Okay, so let's dive into, and like Thomas said, we've talked a little bit about what each person's role is, but let's just go uh, into a little bit more detail on it. So your editor, your champion, his role or her role is really to get people excited about the proposal, get them excited about the book. And the first layer usually at a bigger house is the other editors in the house. And so she will sit down uh, and start the process of selling the book. And a good editor realizes that within the publishing house, I have to sell this book to all the members of the pub board. And that starts with the editor, but this person is your champion. This is the person that believes in it. This is the person that essentially is putting their neck on the line to say, this is a book that, that, that we should publish. So what, everything that you can do to make their job easier to sell that book behooves, uh, definitely behooves your attention. Anything on that, Thomas, that you want to add to that?
1: Well, I'll just say when you're putting together a book proposal, each section of your book proposal is targeted at a different one of these people. So the book detail section is targeted at the accounting person so that they can make their calculations, right? That's where you put how many pages it is and what the layout and the format's going to be. You have your marketing plan, which is in your platform sections, which are for the sales and marketing guys. You've got your sample chapters And your, you know, annotated outline or if it's fiction, the whole book, which is for the editorial team, like each one of those sections of a proposal during pub board, somebody is flipped to a different section and each section is designed to win over a different one of these people. So they say, oh, yes, absolutely. This is exactly the kind of book. I want to do. I'll have no trouble selling this. So this will totally be a win financially, or what have you. And the the more you understand that, and the better you adapt your uh, proposal, uh, the the stronger it'll be. And this is one of the benefits of having a literary agent. If you go traditional, is that uh, I spent a big part of my job is coaching people on their book proposals and helping them make their book proposals. Better, Right. It's like you should word this a little bit differently. Or if you describe your platform in this way, the marketing person is not going to take you seriously. Uh, or, you know, maybe we can simplify the elements of your book uh, to make it a little bit less expensive to publish. I, I, I get feedback on all these different aspects, as do other literary agents.
0: So let's talk about how does the meeting go? Some things to realize as you're developing your proposal. You are just one of a number of books being considered. As we said, maybe it's 10, 12 books that are being considered. And you have to realize your editor might or might not be good at pitching your book. I used to think that I've done this great proposal and it's sent out to everybody before the meeting. And everyone is going to read every section and understand and look at the writing and look at the marketing plan, but they don't. As Thomas said, a, a, a lot of times the only section that sales will look at is the sales section. Um, a lot of times the only section that marketing will look at is the marketing sections. And the editors just look at the writing. And so everyone looks at just their part of the elephant, except the publisher who looks at the whole elephant. As a whole. But consequently, if your editor is not good at pitching your book and driving up enthusiasm for the book, what do you do? Um, Here's where you can make a difference you need to make that hook so compelling and so, oh, I get it that all they have to do is open it up and read that first part of the proposal. The salesperson flips to the the inside of the proposal, maybe at the meeting, maybe they haven't read it beforehand, and they read that hook. They read that initial hook. They go, oh, this sounds interesting. And that's why having your, quote, elevator pitch, even within your proposal, is so critical.
1: It's also about asking the question, what will impress all of these people? And one thing, uh, and I have author friends who've done this, uh, that impresses the whole room is to create a special video specifically for the pub board uh, that you prepare and you give to the editor. It's the editor's choice whether or not to show uh, the video. But sometimes this can be the difference maker. Um, and you know, if they're looking at 12 book proposals and only one of those book proposals comes with a video, Right and everyone's gathered around. And your head is giant on the projector in the conference room. Suddenly, you're—they'll all remember yours when it comes to vote. At the end of the day, suddenly you have uh, shocked the Broca region of their brains, and they remember you. And it—and it's your opportunity. To compensate, perhaps, for an editor who's not able to make a strong pitch uh, for your book, Uh, they can see your conviction and your passion and your eloquence and your media savvy. The fact that you were able to put together a video uh, says a lot about your technical proficiency and your ability to market the book that are all good things.
0: I have a background. My degree is in broadcast journalism, and I've been uh, in sales and a speaker my entire life. So it's something I'm very comfortable doing. And so when I got my five contract deal with Harper Collins, I did exactly what Thomas is talking about, because I think honestly, I think the best person to pitch my book would be me, but I can't get into that meeting. And my agent can not get into that meeting, but I can through video. And so I did exactly what Thomas is talking about. I produced a very short video. And by that, I mean, it was maybe a minute and a half, maybe two minutes. But in that two minutes, they can see my passion. They can see what type of person I am. It's the closest I can get to actually meeting them. And most of the time, because most people won't do it, most of the time they will show that video. And in my case, they did. And that was a definite factor in me getting the contract.
1: All right. So, uh, Jim, are there any TV shows that people could watch that will make them
0: better at this process? Please, 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 please binge Shark Tank. (laughs) You'll learn so much. You will realize if you picture those sharks as um, the pub board and you picture yourself as the entrepreneur, which you are, but your product is books. Oh, my goodness. I think you will get unbelievable insights into how you need to pitch your book through writing a compelling proposal oftentimes they'll come and say, well, what are the numbers here? What are the numbers here? What are you doing here? Marketing wise, what are you doing here? And if, if someone goes, well, I'm, I'm uh, you know, it's just, it, it, it's all viral marketing. We got a bunch of PR for our product and it, and it's sold. Well, what happens when the, um, what happens when the, the, the viral marketing dies? What's your plan after that? Well, I don't really know. And so, um, and so that's something that, by watching that show, I think you'll glean a lot of a uh, lot of insights. Yeah, that's
1: really good. And one tip I will say when it comes to your proposal, because your proposal has to proactively answer all those questions, because unlike Shark Tank, you're not there being grilled. And you're probably glad for that because having people say hard things about you and your book is not super fun. Um And, you know, it's easier when you aren't in the room, uh, not, you know, so you don't have to, you know, cry. Uh, But one of the things that's all that I look for in a proposal that's often a real tell is the verb tense of the marketing section. (laughs) So is this author talking about things they have done that were successful in the past or are they talking about things that they hope to do? In the future, And one of the things that I find is that authors who don't have what it takes often are very eloquent about what they will do and have very little to say about what they have done, uh, which is one of the reasons why this podcast is so valuable if you listen and put it into practice is that if you do the things we talk about in these episodes, you will be able to have a very robust here's what I've done and a good here's what I will do sections of your proposal that will really help you stand out from the crowd.
0: If any of you have things that you've done, if you're traditionally published, we would love uh, that are unusual or made an impact. We would love to hear about those. You can write to us or you can go on the Novel Marketing Podcast Facebook group and post that after we post this episode. Again, just a quick line or two about what you did that made you feel like made you stand out and potentially got you a deal.
1: All right. And our featured patron today is Lucia's Renaissance by C.L. Peterson.
0: Jim? It is a novel of 16th century Italy, um, and in this book, heresy is fatal in late Renaissance Italy, so only a suicidal zealot would so much as whisper the name of Martin Luther. But after Luther's ideas ignite a young girl's faith, she must choose, abandon her beliefs, or risk her life in the turbulent world of late 16th century Italy. And CLR Peterson, thank you so much for being a supporter Of the novel marketing podcast and if you're not a patron and would like to find out about being a patron go to novelmarketing.com and hit that patron button and you will figure out everything you need to know about supporting the show
1: this episode of the novel marketing podcast is brought to you by the five-year plan to become a best-selling author if you want to learn the process of becoming Excellent at writing, writing the kind of books that people want to read and want to tell their friends about and want to pay money for, and also how to market, how to get published, how to get an agent, and so much more. This course is a step-by-step plan that Jim and I put together. Uh, It's a perfect companion to the Novel Marketing Podcast. There are hundreds of authors going through this course right now. As a member of the course, you'll have access to an exclusive five-year plan, uh, Facebook group so you can talk to the other hardcore uh, authors, Uh, we really do recommend it. We are getting great feedback from the authors who are going through it. And often the only thing between you and success is knowing what to do and just as importantly, what not to waste time on yet. Uh, And so we give you that map. We give you that roadmap. And yes, it's a five-year course. You get all five years. Uh, If you're a patron, (laughs) you save 50%. Uh, This is not a get published quick scheme. This is how to do it right, how to do it right the first time. And you can find out more at novelmarketing.com forward slash
0: courses. Okay, Thomas, you're on Shark Tank um, and you you want a deal. Which shark would you want? What what would your number one choice be for working with a shark? Which shark? Damien, probably. Uh, he's the uh, Damien or Barbara. Uh,
1: those are the two who have the most hustle and uh, the most unique insight. I also like uh, Mark Cuban when he's on because he's got the most technical Savvy. I feel like he gets it from a computer perspective. And he's also the most pro investor of the Sharks. Um, the two Canadians never invest. <laughs> so the two Canadians on the right, Mr. Wonderful and Herjavec, almost never buy in. Uh, although I've heard good things from uh, entrepreneurs who've had Mr. Wonderful as a partner. Uh, he takes such a big piece of the pie when he does invest that he is actually invested <laughs> in your success. So that that's
0: me. How about you? Uh, I'd go with Cuban number one because uh, he has shown good business insight savvy. He doesn't always look at the valuation as the sole determining factor like Mr. Wonderful does. Um, And at times he shows compassion for people. So I think he's got a heart as well. The one guy I wouldn't do any deals with, and this is probably why he doesn't do a lot of deals is Robert. Nobody wants to do a deal with him. They always look at him and like anybody else. And so I I just don't, he doesn't impress me as, as an entrepreneur where the rest of them, I think have some real business savvy.
1: And part of it, and when I said Canadians, it's nothing against their nationality. It's partly because they're also in the Canadian version of that show called Dragon's Den. And so they get presented with twice as many deals as the Americans on the show, which is why they're half as as likely to say yes to a deal uh, because they're already saying yes to all these deals up in Canada. So they only have so much money to go around. Uh, So that's part of the, that's my theory anyway, as to why they don't invest as much as somebody like Cuban or Corcoran. All right, there you have it. So there there you go. Analysis on Shark Tank right here (laughs) on novel marketing. You're not going to get this anywhere else, ladies and gentlemen.
0: (laughs) Indeed. So you have been listening to James L. Rubart and Thomas Umstad Jr. on the novel marketing podcast, giving you innovative ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing offline, online, and everywhere in between.